I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics from personal stories to hot button issues. We cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is a podcast where we break down politics, government structure, and dive into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Wallentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're going to be talking about campaign fundraising. So grab your checkbook. And let's get civical. Hi guys, we're here. We're here again. It's us. Are you surprised? Yes. Can you imagine if they just turn on the podcast and they're like, what? Who are these guys? (laughs) They're back. We have a really special guest today, uh, Amanda Littman from Run for Something. And she is going to talk a little bit about Run for Something and help us demystify campaign fundraising and finance and how like what candidates spend money on chip away at that wall i want to know <laughs> i want to know what's behind the curtain i want to know where the money is going a mess that's what's behind the curtain i, I love like that yes mess. let's find the mess great welcome amanda this is gonna be wild it's gonna be wild We're gonna, <laughs> it's ready. gonna get lit it's gonna get i'm gonna get angry i know it i feel it can you imagine because there's Your texas is coming out i'm so southern already because i know i just know that this is not like this is not good you know I already I don't know anything about it but I know (laughs) 
I just, you know, like you, it's like a, it's like the feeling. It's like when your knees hurt when it's raining. Like that's yeah, how yeah. I feel. Like my knees are hurting because I know that this is about to be a crock of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that weren't the case, but it's so true. It really sucks. So you are a co-founder for Run for Something. Mm-hmm. Tell us, for those of us who, for our listeners who aren't aware of your organization, what you guys do. So Run for Something recruits and supports young, diverse progressives running for local office for the first time. What that means in short is that over the last two years since we've launched, we've recruited more than 30,000 people who say they want to run. We've winnowed that pool down to about 700 or so all-stars, 650 of which were in our first two years, and in those first years elected more than 200. So we now have 200 incredible young elected officials across the country that we played a part in. That's so, so amazing. So it's fucking legit. Yeah, I'm dude, it's so real. jazzed by it's that. It's super so real. Cool. It's so rad. Hell I, yeah. I loved that you like took your anger from 2016 and was like, fuck it. Let's We're do going something. All in. It is really remarkable what you can do if you're depressed, unemployed, and really angry. Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah, we've been reading your book, and, and I know we chatted about this a little bit, but I, I didn't know what to expect from your book, and I, it was so refreshing and so like I just felt it was accessible you weren't talking writing at me you were just being like this is what's happening and it's fucking bullshit (laughs) and you know what don't lose hope because there's shit that you can do there's shit that you can do if you want to do like you gave me charts you gave me graphs I was digging those flow charts thank you they were so good they're so good I was like thing you could say it like came out of my there would be footnotes you just you defined words that I don't know it's my favorite thing (laughs) Uh, like I spend half this podcast being like okay what does that word mean because it's in some crusty old document and it defines some very large portion of how our government is run but we don't know what it means and you're not supposed to yeah that's the trick is you're not supposed to understand this country functions on the fact that people don't really understand what's going on that's how everybody is in power yeah and I and it's hard to know (laughs) it's hard to understand like yes what in effort to understand the structure and so, I, yeah, no, I, it was great reading your book. It's yeah. been on my, like, on my queue of things. And it was great to, like, okay, great. I, I can read it and we can talk about and it. And we can learn. Did I, you feel inspired to run for office? Well, I I ran for office for about six weeks. Ooh. What'd you run for? City council. Nice. In my neighborhood. What do you say to, like, young people who are running for, who are challenging incumbents and that, like, and they start to get pushback? Like, what do you say to them? First, to expect it. Yeah. There are always going to be people telling you it's not your turn. Don't run. If you do this, you'll ruin your career. It's too early. They're a good incumbent. What are you doing? We can't yeah. waste the resources, which is a premise I find completely flawed. We've had a, quite a few candidates who were like, when they ran in the primary, the party refused to engage with them. They had issues getting the voter file. They had problems staffing. And even when they made it to the general, if they beat the incumbent, they would have problems because they hadn't sufficiently like put in their dues in air mm. quotes here. The reality is to expect it, to know what's coming, yeah. and to know you don't need them. Yeah. One, they're not that as powerful as you would like, as, the, as they'll tell you they are. Right. But two, you don't need them. It's very helpful to have them. You shouldn't go out of your way to make enemies. But like, if you believe that you can can advance a better vision and a better agenda for your community mm-hmm. than the incumbent, run against them. If the incumbent is really that good, they'll win. Yeah. If the party has that much faith in their incumbent, they should let the voters decide. Yep. And I think that is... For me, when I get I get very frustrated, and I'm like, well, this person has to win, and no one else should run. Cool. If you think this person has to win, then help them do so. Help them do so. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The way to do that is not by clearing the field. Totally. Yeah. Totally. It's just by letting them do the thing. Right. 
trusting voters is the scariest thing we can do as like a political operative, but it totally. is the only way. Let's run competitive primaries. It also makes the party stronger. It makes um, the voter file better. Mm-hmm. It gives people more entry points into the process. Yep. There's no downside except for that like maybe an incumbent has to work to hold their job. I, oh, I know. What you know, a tragedy. I won't, I won't stand for it. I know. I won't stand for it. They just need to sit there. Yeah. You bless their hearts. You I, win once, you win forever. And that's it. <laughs> and that's it. You know? Yeah. Um, no, for me, I've just, I've never had anything. I've never had any hope in Texas. That's not true. But like a lot of incumbents. There. 2020 is going to be your time. I yep. hope so. I mean, yeah. the fact that it like, she almost went purple, like, for Trump and almost and then the Beto thing I was like what is Texas state legends I believe nine seats away from flipping the state house and we <sighs> won 11 of seats last cycle in 2018 you can't see this but I'm literally baby oh my God. <laughs> I'm um, <blowing. laughs> we worked with a woman Lena Hidalgo who's 28 years old she is a Colombian American graduate from Kennedy School at Harvard she's now the Harris County judge which... I'm from Harris County Harris County so I'm you from know. Harris County <laughs> Oh, Harris County. What was her name? Lena Hidalgo. Lena Hidalgo, call me. I'm from there. I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) This is crazy. So you know this. Harris County judge is actually like the county executive. Yes. They're in charge of the budget. It's the third biggest county in America. She's a 28-year-old, incredibly sharp immigrant to the United States, Democrat, who is now basically the most powerful woman in Texas. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Yeah, she's the best. Uh, Oh, my God. uh, She's going to be governor one day. Yes, she is. Oh, my God. One day. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know because I've been so far removed from it. But that's so exciting. Yeah. That's amazing. Also, wow. it's amazing that the judge runs the budget. So it's like a county executive is with the position is judge. I don't Texas. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. okay <laughs> Look, okay. Arden. Okay, don't ask questions <laughs> about how we do things. Okay? okay. Literally, somebody was just like, let's just let's just mix everything up, and that's what they do. You know? Okay. All right. I got you. Can we chat a little bit about? campaign fundraising and can we <laughs> can we break it down into teeny tiny pieces yes great for me to gobble up <laughs> little teeny tiny pieces of popcorn that i'm just gonna great. in my mouth okay <laughs> so the first like the big question so a candidate announces that they want to run for office or they decide that they mm-hmm. want to run for office when does like the fundraising port like when does it start and what's like the the basic step-by-step process of like like getting money from like deciding in their head great i lizzie stewart i'm gonna run for railroad commissioner of texas and then like what like how like what's a general process from like start to finish so here's the thing you're gonna hear me say a lot it Tell me. varies i love that i love that <laughs> um so the important thing to know is that elections are governed by different administering boards um a federal election uh, meaning running for congress or for president or for senate um is administered or governed by the federal election commission the federal election commission has very clear rules on when you can and can't take money what constitutes a campaign donation when you can open an account versus when you have to file with them all of those things okay, there's also rules on how much money you can take in a primary versus a general the reporting deadlines, all of that is governed by the FEC. So if you're running for Congress, which probably shouldn't do if you're running for office for the first time, but if you're (laughs) running for Congress, um, you would have to take a look at the FEC reporting deadlines. And in often cases, it's like you can start spending money for your campaign up to two weeks before you officially launch, things like that. There's Mm. there's some variation here. And I admit, I don't work as much with federal elections anymore, so it's not my forte, but there is some... um, 
very clear guidelines about how you can do this. There are some tools you can use to get around it a little bit. For example, uh, you could use Crowdpack, which is a website and fundraising mm -hmm. platform that lets you have people pledge to give before you run. And then uh, once you actually file, you collect the donations. The FEC has ruled that in like a couple dozen states as acceptable. The thing if you're running for any other office, which there are half a million elected offices in this country and only about mm -hmm, only about 500 or so in our federal 600 or so um the rest are states are governors lieutenant governors attorney generals but also more importantly and more meaningfully city councils and school yeah. boards and state legislatures and yeah. water abatement districts mm -hmm. and university of michigan board of regents and harris county judge things like that <laughs> shout out again to harris county judge we love you things like that are governed state by state so mm -hmm. Connecticut has very different state finance laws, campaign finance laws than Florida, which has different laws than Texas, which has different laws than Hawaii. <laughs> right. You in each state need to understand the rules that you're sort of engaging with. In Florida, for example, if you are running for governor or a statewide off or a state office, it's penny in, penny out. So every penny you spend must be reported no matter the size of donation and every penny um, you uh, spend must be reported mm -hmm. in Virginia um, there are certain basically no limits to what you can give a candidate really yeah I mean basically I and like, yeah. shouldn't there um, be is that well, that's definitely a topic for conversation. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I, I think okay. yes. But <laughs> we'll put a pin in this. Put a pin in that. But for example, there are some states where it's essentially the wild, wild west, where you can I give unlimited that. amounts. You can coordinate between the campaign and like a super PAC, Virginia being one of them, which is why when you hear people talk about the Virginia sort of off cycle elections, the governors, the state, state house of races, um, they're a little different mm. uh, in uh, some states. You may only be able to give five hundred dollars to a candidate. That just may be true. Mm. In some states, if you want to work, um, if you want to run, you have to file and you can't open a bank account until you have a filing number. In other places, it's around the opposite. Mm -hmm. um, in some places, the process of filing may include spending money or it may not. So you may have to outlay funds from your own, from out of pocket in order to do so with the expectation that you'll be reimbursing yourself. It's a mess. Okay, can I, okay, okay, <laughs> yes. okay. Nobody, okay, nobody move, okay. <laughs> Is, why, okay, why can't we get uniformity across how we raise money, This like, across the states? Is that just, like, the states' rights thing being, like, we don't want you to tell us what to do in our state? It's the 10th Amendment of the Constitution. Literally! It always comes back to the It always comes back to the 10th Amendment. Uh, okay. The states' rights. All yep. powers not reserved yep. to Congress are reserved to the states. Not enumerated version of the states. I just feel like that was a bad idea. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. I understand. When, like, at the time, it made sense mm -hmm. because everybody was like, we don't know what this federal government is going to be. So we want to, like, make sure that we're taken care of in our own place. Mm hmm. But now I feel like we've all come together. We've been 50 states for a little bit now. I mm -hmm. think we can just let go. I and uh, I don't know. I know. Here's what I will say. I think there is a lot of value in this in some ways because there's a lot of chance for up for uh, experimentation. Totally. For example, in New York City, if you're running for a citywide office, you have access to public financing. Every donation to a New York City candidate from a New York City resident gets matched. I believe at this point it's eight to one. Yeah. In Seattle, I believe this is true still, they tested out a system where you get every um, registered voter gets a voucher worth $100 that you can then allocate to a candidate. So it's like a way okay, of their way so of doing cool. public I love that. financing. I love that. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. I do so there's love that. a lot of different, I think, Okay, federalism is a nightmare and like <laughs> okay federalism is killing this country but <laughs> there is some really interesting opportunity to learn how yeah. these systems work on a small scale i do yeah i do yeah. understand that it is just I, like i understand that in the when it's 
positive things like that. But when you have, like, I don't think you should be able to donate an unlimited amount to a candidate. Am I crazy in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like just things like that where it's like, just put, just put a lemon on it. You know, mm. it, I don't know. This is me. I just want, I want uniformity, you know, not in like a, not in like a creepy communist way. I just mm-hmm. want, I just want there to be like a rule that we all agree on that we all do. That's it. <laughs> I just, I want to revise, I want to revise the constitution. That's what I want. Good luck with that. Okay, great. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay. We're still waiting on the ERA. I know. Oh, don't even get me started. Um, But let's talk about, like, if you're a candidate, Mm -hmm. Yeah. what do you, what are your personal first steps? So, like, kind of regardless of where you live, assuming that you know, like, you've looked into the laws or you've done that part of it, what do you, you've decided... Maybe you do a crowd pack thing mm-hmm. and get some pledges and stuff. But what do you do like going forward then? Mm-hmm. Because you will need money and you need to track it. And um, yeah. and there's a whole bunch of things that go into that. So what's like, what do you tell your candidates to do? So I think we first rewind a little bit and make sure that people are running for the right office for the right reason. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people start out thinking, I'm going to run for Congress in part because that's the only thing they know because mm-hmm. that's what you right. see in the news. Yeah. The reality is, again, half million elected office in this country, most of them are not Congress. The better way to think about it is what is the problem you want to solve and mm-hmm. what is the office that would let you solve it? And then, most importantly, why should voters want you to win? Which is a very different question than why do you want to win? What are you oh, going to do to make people's lives better? That's such a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a really – because the number one question you're going to get as a candidate is why are you running for office? Right. right. It's, oh, what, so why are you doing this? Right. People are – when you ask them for money, so why, why are you doing this? Right. You have to be able to answer that. And if you can clearly say I am running for office because I care about the zoning laws in our community and city council has a chance to fix that. Mm. Or because my kid is in a school that is discriminating against trans kids and I want to fix that. Mm-hmm. Or because I believe that women should have the right to choose and that's a place that state legislature has a chance – has been yeah. passing laws that have prevented that and I want to be a voice for women in mm. the in that space. Um, if you can clearly answer that question and articulate how the office you're running for ties back to that problem, mm-hmm. the rest of your campaign is so much easier mm-hmm. because you're driven by that. And because you'll have a clear argument. Right. right. And that starts you at a, a place, a really solid foundation. Yeah. From there, there are some mechanics like making sure you know the rules, make sure you understand how to actually get on the ballot, um, yeah. the rules around campaign finance law. The biggest thing I will always remind candidates and that my team always reminds candidates is that you don't want any unforced errors. Mm-hmm. So like there's going to be shit that comes at you. You don't have to make the shit appear if you can avoid it. <laughs> right. Meaning like if you have to file certain paperwork, file the paperwork at the certain date. Right. There's no reason to open yourself to that kind of attack. That totally. you, If you don't know how to manage your own campaign, how are you going to be able to manage the city? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, there's a lot of different tools you can use to track your fundraising. Um, on the Democratic side, the best one is probably called NGP Van. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in terms of like, what do you need from donors in order to file the compliance paperwork? So to make sure that you're in line with the law. Um, but the really, the most annoying answer, which I hate to say is true, is take out your phone and call every person you know. Yeah. Call them, text them, Facebook message them, ask them to contribute. And you shouldn't feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. I think this is something that a lot of candidates are like, I just... I don't want to yeah, ask my friends anxiety. for money. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to fundraise for an organization. Like I hate asking my friends for money. Yeah. It's much easier to ask strangers. I hate asking my really? friends for money. And I'm not asking for me in the same way that a candidate for a city council is not asking for like a loan for lunch. Right. You're asking someone to invest in your vision and in their own community. Mm-hmm. That is a really powerful 
place to put their money. Totally. Um, so you shouldn't feel bad about it. Yeah, and the more investment. You're going to get no's more than you get yeses, but you will be shocked at who says yes if you ask. Yeah. And I worked for a candidate once who reiterated this all the time and it stuck with me. You don't get what you don't ask for. So like no money will come raining down from the sky if you don't <laughs> beg it to to appear. Right, right, right. Can I ask the question? This might be a very obvious answer, but I actually really don't know when you have the money or when you have the bulk of the money and you're in the midst of the campaign, where is it primarily going? What are we spe- like what are the candidates spending money on? So if I want to invest in a candidate, like what what's the, what are the big hot places that this money is going to? So there's a couple different sort of like mechanical fees so to speak meaning mm-hmm. you might have to do filing fees you might need to pay money to open a bank account or get a p.o box that kind of thing mm-hmm. the basis of almost every campaign no the basis of every campaign <laughs> is talking to voters yeah the number one thing a candidate can do with their time with their efforts what have you is to have a communication a conversation one-on-one with a voter everything else that a campaign does is a way to replicate that experience, to replicate the intimacy between candidate and voter. Mm-hmm. So um, in an election where there's maybe 500 voters you have to reach, the candidate can literally talk to all of them. Mm-hmm. That means their budget may be smaller because the only things they're really paying for are those mechanics fees and literature. So like a palm card or a you know a little picture with their name and their election date to give to a voter when they meet them at the door so that there's a leave behind, a visual rep- reminder. Right. Maybe they'll pay for internet in their office if they have one. You know, maybe they'll pay for campaign office, but mm-hmm. probably in a race that small, probably not. Um, maybe if their race a little bit bigger, they might pay for a campaign staffer to help manage their time and make sure that they're using it most efficiently so that they can be having conversations with the right voters. As a campaign gets bigger, your candidate time is more limited because you literally can't talk to any voter, every right. voter anymore. So you might be spending money on advertising to replicate that one-to-one experience. You might be spending money on hiring organizers or paying people to um, canvas. So replicating that experience again, canvassing being knocking on doors, right. making phone calls or sending text messages. Mm-hmm. Um, as a campaign gets really, really big, you might be paying for TV ads. You might be paying for newspaper, radio ads. You might be paying for video production. Uh, you might be paying for organizers all across the country. If you think about a presidential campaign in particular as a whole bunch, a whole operation dedicated to replicating that one-to-one experience, yeah. it makes sense the tactics they use. Mm-hmm. And that's what the money is going towards. Yeah. It is not going towards or it shouldn't be going towards things like paying off the candidate's family (laughs) it shouldn't necessarily be going off to things like um paying for (sighs) businesses to write policies that kind of thing oh yeah however it is it is becoming more and more common for people to use campaign funds to pay for things like childcare, which allows candidates Mm, who uh, who have kids to run on the federal level that is now acceptable on the state level it varies from place to place and a lot of candidates you know broke new grounds in that in 2018 Mm -hmm. um it might go to things like paying the candidate a salary which doesn't seem totally right until you remember that if you're a full-time working person yep you can't quit your job to run for office. You have right. to pay right. for your you family. To, right. Like you have to buy your own food somehow. Yeah. Right. You have to pay your rent. for your rent. You have to pay for your bills. I think that is, I think on the face of it, some paying a candidate to run for office sounds ugh. Yeah. But when you think about it, it is probably the most just thing that you could do totally. because all otherwise we're relying on candidates who can self-fund and self-support. Right. Or they come from a family who can throw money at them. A lot them. of money. And is. Not to say that those people are necessarily those shouldn't be poor the only candidates. people who can do this. Totally, exactly. But right now they are. 
realistically. In a lot of places, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think, especially in a lot of these places, the other place where pay gets becomes a problem is, especially um, outside of Congress, these are not full-time positions in right. most places. Yeah. Um, the state legislature in New Hampshire pays like $200 a year total that's that's literally it's con- there's like a per diem per wait travel or something so like, like that. that's like that's state legislators that's like the like if they have i mean it, it obviously depends if they have like a house or a senate of that mm-hmm. like they're making two hundred dollars a year those yeah people. it's not a full-time position you that? maybe serve like one night a week or something like that the way that they do their sessions oh. i don't know exactly but no. it is not full-time but school board positions are not full-time yeah. and are often not paid city council it varies yep. um state ledge it varies I think one of the best things we can do to fix the makeup of our government institutions is to change the way that they pay. Yeah. Like we, so someone on my staff, or one of our chief comms officer, Leslie Lopez, is currently a member of the House of Delegates in Maryland. Mm-hmm. We are lucky that we have the kind of organization and the kind of company where she can take a three month sabbatical to go serve full time in Annapolis. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Um, she was a candidate for the last two years that she worked with us and she was amazing. She just every day from nine to five, she would work and then from five to nine, she would campaign. She would knock doors yeah, every night. Her. She's the best. She's the best. Um, <laughs> And most people can't do that. It's why you get a lot of lawyers because their work right. is flexible. It's right. why you harder if you're going to be a teacher yeah. because you can't take off the first three months of the year if you're a teacher. Right. Not really. Yeah. Um, so I think that is one of the more meaningful places where if you wanted to affect institutional reform in order to change the makeup of our structures. Totally. It's a great place to go. That was a lot of jargon. I'm no, sorry. it wasn't. No, no, no. I, I kept that. up. I kept up. <laughs> Sometimes I like have to pause and be like, okay, great. I got it. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but I understand. It's... <sighs> It, it, I didn't know, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I did not realize that a lot of these positions are considered part time mm-hmm. and they're not necessarily like you can't live off of it. Yeah. Not at all. What, ha- like the campaign's over, they've won or lost. What happened? Is there money left over? Sometimes. What happens to the money? It depends. Um, there are different laws about what you can do with that money. <laughs> no way. Very annoying no answer. way. That's, I'm shook. <laughs> I'm shook. Um, some places you can hold on to the money and use it for your next campaign. Oh. And especially if you're running for something that's governed by the same body for like a state office to state office. You might have to open a new campaign committee. You could transfer funds, that kind of thing. Um, you can use it to pay down campaign debt because you may have acquired some over the course of the campaign that you weren't sure you'd have funds to pay. So you pay your bills later. Mm-hmm. Um, if you decide not to run again, you might donate it to the party, or oh. which is a very worthwhile thing to do totally um the reality is is that few people end with too much money behind because ideally you leave it all in the field right yeah um the other tough reality is that especially if you are fundraising in any bigger kind of race like a congressional statewide or presidential um most of the money comes in at the end when the reality is you needed it a year ago yeah right the end being like people just two weeks like, before election day just being like let's oh do my it. god there's an election here i right. love this candidate i'm gonna yeah, give him 20 bucks it. which is great it's great and it's really annoying if you're a campaign trying to budget right because totally. you need because <laughs> you needed to pay your bills a year ago you needed to hire staffers a year ago the money that you know emily's list the group mm-hmm. that helps pro-choice democratic women is called early money is like yeast it helps the dough rise early money for a candidate is the most important thing you could do yeah. it's also true for an organization shameless plug but the more <laughs> you can give early on even if it's a smaller amount it allows them to do more your yeah. money goes further yeah. and do you, why do you think people don't donate at the beginning is it just because they just haven't been engaged and suddenly it's like oh we're here no. I, I like you partially that they don't feel the urgency guys it's urgent it's urgent i mean it's ur- and that's on 
I always say this, that it's on us, the political operatives, the candidates, the organizations to convey that urgency. And if we're not doing a good job, that's our fault. And um, that's why you'll see the crazy fundraising emails of like deadline today, because those deadlines are the only things we've got in our sort of arsenal to convey urgency until the election comes. I I, I felt your inhale because you have such feelings about the campaign emails. The campaign emails, which like the campaign emails, you get lots of them Mm -hmm. and they are sometimes annoying to get, right? Like you open them up and it's like, I get it. You like candidate X, y'all need a lot of money to do things. I just don't, you know, I think some people get frustrated because they're like, I don't have money right to give you right now. But I think (laughs) clearly Lucy's looking up, they're effective. Like Mm -hmm. they're in a hella effective way to raise money. But I think the thing that like, when you open them up, I think the language in them is like, you know, the headline is often like Mitch McConnell, mm. hor- horrible, you know, yeah. or something yeah. like that. And the, the say nothing more, <laughs> say nothing more. Here is my $5. Yeah. Um, but I think that sometimes the language is a little bit, it's so dire. And is it that way? Because that's what grabs people's attention. So it's a combination of the two. Um, So I did online fundraising. I did emails for Obama. Mm -hmm. I did emails for organizing for action, Mm -hmm. which was organizing after that. I did emails and other digital stuff for Charlie Christopher governor in 2014. And then I was Hillary Clinton's email director. So I ran the online fundraising program you're talking about. You did a very good job. Thank you. I thought so. (laughs) It was not a privilege and gave me left me with a bevy of email jokes, which is really important. Um, (laughs) I think it's important to know there's a lot of variety here because Mm. every the tactics are only as good as the candidate so when the candidate or the cause is a little less exciting or a little less interesting or doesn't personally connect to supporters they have to come up with other ways Mm, okay so that's number one number two um the point of email fundraising is to catch you when you're hot when you are hot might be different than when you're hot to give you're all hot all the time but to get to fundraise thank you so much for saying look (laughs) this is a hot room it's hot so you're trying to build a machine and Mm -hmm. build the most optimized as a practitioner the most optimized email marketing program Mm -hmm. so that when the iron strikes you are able to collect the most possible money so So something something like a debate or the access hollywood tapes or insert chaotic moment here occurs right you know exactly how to best ask you for money and how to best ask you for money what's the m- way to make sure that when you are probably most likely to give you can so like right. the burn and churn daily emails mm-hmm. especially for a larger thing like a presidential or, or like the a committee or that kind of thing where they have a lot of a bigger list and they have some room to test and they have staffers that are running a really optimized program is really about marginalizing or optimizing around the edges mm. so that when those edges become really big you're getting the most possible bang for your buck. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. There is no um, high horse when it comes to online fundraising. If a contest is what gets you in the door, if the opportunity to like have dinner with Barack Obama gets mm. you in the door, great. Yeah. Cool. Whatever. Yeah. The money all still goes to the same cause. Yeah. I have a question because you brought up like, you know, like getting a dinner with Barack Obama mm-hmm. that raises money, that raises money. Is there Are there any rules around like benefits that you can give donors for donating? Are there, do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So Again, it varies. We'll, we'll say for the federal <laughs> for the federal level, uh-huh. um, contests are for the most part okay. There's a couple of states where it's a little tricky, where you can't technically run a lottery. But generally speaking, um, you can have people pay to come to an event. Um, 
you can be able to buy merchandise, but you will notice it's actually you're giving a donation in exchange for a t-shirt. You're not actually buying yeah. merchandise because okay. we don't charge sales tax. I mean, you can do as much or as little as you want. It depends on what kind of relationship you want to build with donors. Sure. We actually found on Hillary's campaign, the kind of people who would buy a t-shirt or would donate in exchange for a t-shirt are very different than people who donate around a debate. It's actually a very different mentality because the act of oh, buying a shirt, if you think about it, it's e-commerce as opposed to making a, a quote-unquote charitable gift. I think a lot about the psychology of donors because I find it to be fascinating and because my job now is to work with major donors to have them contribute larger amounts to run for something right. because I think it's really important to build a balanced fundraising program. You as a candidate or an organization shouldn't rely too much on any single source for all of your funds. That seems right. silly. So it's fascinating what I've learned now over the last two years doing mostly major donor stuff of mm. – Smaller donors give when they their candidate or their cause is behind, but the contributions could take them over the top. Right. Major donors like to give to a winner. But it's great when they give to like your organization. It's great when they give to our organization. Yeah. And major donor money can often come in earlier, whereas smaller dollar mm. money can come in later, which means if you build something balanced, you can fund it responsibly. Right. So talking about the major donors, talk to me about like house parties mm-hmm. and like host committees and stuff. So when you... Because I know people who throw fundraisers and, and stuff and the candidate will come and they'll give a speech and talk to people and take pictures and stuff like that. How um, how do you organize that and how is it coordinated with the campaign? Like, does the campaign reach out to those people or do they elect and say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm digging Hillary's message. Like, I here's my details. Can I throw her a house party? A little bit of both. Depends on the campaign, depends on how much staff they have, depends what kind of strategy they're using and how much money they get from those events versus how much staff time it takes. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say the way that we do it at Run for Something, as an example, um, is a combination of the two. People will reach out to us and say, hey, I saw you speak. I really want to host a fundraiser for you. Will you come to my home in Palo Alto and I'll invite a bunch of my friends? It'll be a really good time. Great. Um, from there, we might work with the host to give them the invitation and help set up the donation page. And then we might invite some people, but they would mostly be responsible. Most events that you'll see, like candidate fundraisers around New York City, the host committee will have a fundraising commitment. So some places it might be a $500 host commitment. Maybe it's a $5,000 host commitment. Mm. Um, that's usually what you would call a writer raise, mm-hmm. um, meaning the host is responsible for either writing a check for that amount or raising, meaning getting enough people who will contribute to meet that commitment mm. or a combination of the two. Um, we do the same, a combination of the two, depending mm. on what the host wants. From there, it's on the host and the host committee to fill the room, usually. Yep. Um, so they're responsible for getting enough people into the home um, to both meet the fundraising goal of the event, which you sort of work with the host to lay out in the beginning. Um, so maybe you, Lizzie, want to host a fundraiser in your home. I do. Great. <laughs> okay, so you want to host an event for Run for something. Everybody come to Brooklyn. And you were like, I want my host commitment to be $500 a person, okay. and I want to get 10 of my friends to each commit to write or raise $500. That's a $5,000 event. Great. So we would give you the graphics, we would give you the landing page, meaning the donation page, the Eventbrite. Um, we would give you uh, my time. We would give you placards and stickers and pins and all that. Mm-hmm. And we would give you some suggested language. From there, it's on you to build the event, to and invite like, your it. friends and to say, Arden, will you be on the host committee? You have to commit to write or raise $500. Great, great. And then you have to find either five people to give 100 bucks each mm-hmm. or two people to give $250 each or 20 people to give whatever 500 divided by 20. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Working in accommodation with like how much space you have. You as the host committee would also be responsible for food and drink. 
Yeah. So like that would be part of your contribution is the space, the food, the booze, if you decide to do that, whatever. Yeah. Um, maybe you decide you also want to have music and you have a friend who can play acoustic guitar really beautifully. Of course I do. And that would participate, be part of the fundraiser. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's on you. And I think that's actually makes it really fun because you get a chance to shape the event to your and your social networks liking. Right. Yeah. Um, totally. And it's a really low bar way to get engaged with the campaign in a, in a way that is really meaningful for the campaign themselves because most campaigns their number one goal is to expand their fundraising base mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. the more people giving the better because that's the more people you can go back to the number one psychological barrier is not donor to repeat donor it's non-donor to donor mm. once i've gotten you to give one dollar or five dollars or five thousand dollars mm -hmm. asking you again is not that hard right because you've already shown you're willing to contribute right in for a penny in for a pound right it's getting you to give that first dollar mm -hmm. wow I love fundraising. I think it's so yeah, fun. Yeah, no, it, it's no, so, it's it, it's, it's fascinating. There's a reason why there's a fun in fundraising. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it does, do these these house parties? Does it ever not? Do you ever not make your goal? Totally, and, and that's okay. As yeah, I mean, you would hope that your hosts will contribute. Like, let's say that you committed to raise five thousand dollars, yeah. and you only got enough people to contribute forty five hundred. Okay, hopefully you as a host might be able to contribute that final 500 to get us over I see. the goal okay. because the canned pain or the organization is probably budgeting against that goal. Right. I feel like now that Facebook is doing the like, it's my birthday, please donate to this cause. Oh yeah. I feel like, like I would love to know the numbers on like how much money has been raised for that because I feel like if you personally ask and you give an explanation of why you think rain is great, didn't you do rain? I did. Yeah. yeah. I did a, a fundraiser for rain. It's huge. Like, it's huge. It's yeah. huge. The, my only flag with Facebook is that they don't do um, organizations like mine. Why? Because it's we're not political. a 501c3. So oh. if you want to get into some, some tax law. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah tax law. Yeah. Hashtag tax law. Let's um, go. Okay. So a 501c3, it's a charitable organization. Your donations to them are tax deductible, meaning you can write them off in your taxes. Um, you, those organizations cannot do electoral work and cannot do partisan work. Ah. They oh. can do voter registration. Okay. And they can do broader civic engagement, but they can't do anything that influences an election or advocates for or against a party or a candidate. I understand why you C3s. are not a 501c3. Mm -hmm. I understand. <laughs> Next kind of iteration is a political action committee, also called a PAC or 527, 527 being the designation in the tax law. Um, PACs can work in elections, can be partisan, and can work with candidates. There are a couple different kinds of PACs. For example, you could be a federal PAC, meaning you work with congressional elections or presidential elections. In that case, you register with the FEC. So you can look up all PAC information on Open Secrets. You can also that. be, like what Run for Something is, a non-federal PAC, meaning you're a political action committee, your donations are not tax deductible, you can work directly with candidates and be partisan, but we do not register with the FEC. We register with the IRS. Okay. PACs also register with all PACs are with the IRS. You might also be have a Virginia PAC or a Missouri PAC or a Texas PAC that allows you to engage in a very particular way in that state. Mm. And every state has different laws about what kind of entities can uh, participate in those elections and what the registration rules are. So if we wanted to engage in, say, Missouri, we might have to file and spend $5,000 and find someone in Missouri to be a registered agent in order to then be able to give money to Missouri candidates. Laws are a mess. <laughs> third, third thing here are what we call 501c4s. Um, they are non-tax deductible. Uh, they are what is affectionately known as social welfare groups or dark money. <gasps> Unlimited donations. Um, I'll go back to donation limits in a minute. Unlimited donations. Uh, no transparency on how it's spent. They cannot give directly to a candidate. 
the primary purpose of a 501c4 must be social welfare. So it must be civic engagement, nonpartisan, could be progressive or conservative, but nonpartisan and non-electoral. 49% of their spending can be towards political efforts. So it's a little bit of a... So as long as you don't like name a candidate... Yes. You, you could say vote. An- you could say vote in an election. You could say vote down ballot. You could say vote your whole ticket. You could say vote for the candidate that best fights for women's right to choose. Right. You could not say vote for Arden. Right. You could spend 49% of your money on those ads. The 51% would have to go towards other things, other programming, primary purpose spending is what right. it's called. Many organizations will have multiple entities. For example, Run for Something has both a non-federal PAC and a 501c4 part of that is because we have programs that make more sense to run out of our c4 Mm -hmm. and part of that is because a lot of our partner groups don't want to partner with a partisan group but will partner with our c4 the one thing i forgot to note was that c3s have no donation limits Mm -hmm. you can give however much you want to charity um generally speaking well some organizations might still 527s federal PACs have donation limits I think it's 2800 per election, so primary and then general. Mm. And then they can transfer money between candidate and um, committee or between state parties. And different committees can give certain amounts to different state parties. There's like some laws around that. Generally speaking, a candidate or a candidate's um, spouse can give as much money as they want to a campaign. Oh, my God. A non-federal PAC has no donation limits. But our Virginia PAC, for example, might have a limit. And our Missouri PAC might have a limit if we had these entities, based on what the state laws say. I love that we're talking about PACs. What is a super PAC? Uh, (laughs) A super (laughs) PAC um, is an independent expenditure group. I believe it is not a C4. It's a diff- It's like a 527-something. Um, it's a different kind of designation. The money is not reported. Money in, money out is not reported. I love that. Um, it is uh, cannot work in conjunction with a campaign. So the other sort of categorization is coordinated or independent expenditure. Mm-hmm. A party um, is going to be coordinated. A party will work directly with a campaign all the way up through election day. They can give money to it. They can advise it. They can run, so work off the same um, voter file is mm-hmm. the best example of they're working in coordination with the campaign. A uh, organization like us, we work on the coordinated side of the firewall in sort of operative terms we call it like the wall. Yep. We're on the coordinated side. We work dire- directly with candidates all the way up through election day. Um, some organizations are on the independent expenditure side. They might spend money on ads or on canvases Mm. um, in a state or in a race. They will not work directly with the campaign, meaning the campaign cannot direct their messaging. The campaign cannot give them voter lists. The campaign cannot um, talk to them. Mm -hmm. And often in some places, I believe it's like 90 days before the election, the wall goes up and you can no longer communicate. So some of the press releases you might see from a campaign or an organization are intended to signal to IE groups or to other organizations that might engage mm-hmm. on what they're doing. Whoa. It so is fascinating. Whoa. The knowledge economy within this is Wait, so interesting. Wait, and so, so I, Lizzie Stewart, I'm a super PAC, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously. <laughs> I can I can buy TV ads mm-hmm. for a candidate. Or that or that like support that are like vote for blah blah blah. Yeah. But and the only rule is that the the campaign didn't tell me to do that. Didn't tell you to do I that. I could just didn't be like, give you footage. You would have to do found footage. Right. Yeah. I just like woke up one day and I was like, you know what? I have iMovie, and I'm gonna boopity bop beep. 
I've right. got a, I've got an ad. I'm going to throw it up on the TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can do that. And every candidate ad needs to include them in their own words saying, I approve this message. Yeah. That's why you will hear that or see that on camera. That's by law. That's how you know it's from the campaign. Yeah. Oh. Candidate's campaign versus a super PAC or another. Oh, yeah, so you yeah, can, yeah. I can literally be like, that's a pack. Yeah. Because it doesn't have the, I'm Lizzie Stewart and I approve this message. And you'll notice that the candidates are very, like the candidates are always like, I approve this message. Like they are very front and center with yeah. approving whatever they've just put out they because why in. would they put out? Yeah. an ad that they didn't approve right but the i think like the the ads that come from the packs and the organizations sometimes are like the teeniest tiniest little mm-hmm. bit of writing like just small like as small as they can get it without like skirting the law right yeah, yeah. whoa and there are almost no rules about those kinds of things on internet ads on digital ads well, video is a little different rules. but like a banner ad that you might see on the newspaper website or on facebook there's now more rules from facebook there aren't more rules from the fec at least not recently and there's a, an entirely separate conversation we can have about how campaigns are allocating their spend to do, towards online advertising versus where we spend our time. Right. I'm, I'm assuming that it's like a lot of online. No? No. <gasps> what? No, okay. Wait. Stop. Why? I feel um, like. So am I crazy? Changed. Yes. Okay, um, great. But. No, you're not crazy. Oh. This has changed a lot in the last four years. Yeah, for sure. Um, partially because the internet has changed a lot and the way that people consume media has changed a lot. But generally speaking, Democratic campaigns at least are still lagging behind on this. Mm. Uh, guys. They're going to spend more on TV, um, more on specific broadcast net television than on Facebook and social. It's changing a little bit. There's also the reality of... Um, what you spend online can go for all two different goals, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, one goal being fundraising. So you pay people to join. You pay for Facebook ads to have people join join your list, which is called like list building ads. Mm-hmm. Um, because email is one of the best ways to get people to give. Um, so once they're in, you can then recoup that money by asking them to contribute. Right. That's a separate kind of budget than let me show you the video about how insert Governor X is going to repeal your right to choose. Right. Those kinds of budgets are cons- are separate intellectually, but they're not actually separate pools of money. And it's hard for a candidate or a campaign, especially if the campaign is being run by a TV consultant because the campaign can't afford to pay their organizers a living wage right? because they don't have the money early on. It's a whole messy system of ways in which it is constructed so that the people who can afford to take the jobs early on are the ones who incentivize the TV consultants to run more TV ads. Because they get a commission of the ad buy. Yeah. All of this comes back to the idea that the structure of our institutions determines who is able to enter them. Mm -hmm. Which, especially in politics, personnel is policy. Personnel is your campaign. Who you hire early on dictates your campaign's priorities and then will ultimately dictate your policy priorities. That's so true. It is all tied together. So when you talk about like fixing campaign finance reform, it's not just about fixing how much money gets spent it's about fixing who is able to work on a campaign who right. is able to run yeah. right. and ultimately who is able to work and who is able to run determines the policy priorities yep and determines how the campaign engages in a community and whether they're reaching out to say african-american voters yeah. or not yeah. um it then ultimately dictates what kind of policy they implement it all comes back together yeah and you can my mind look at different levers of this system being moved up or down and changing everything did you have another question on there that you wanted to ask? My, I mean, this I is like, this is just because I, I'm me, but like if they, if candidates break the rules in fu- campaign, like fundraising, do they lose the money? Like what's the, you know what well, I mean? You usually have to pay a fine. You have to pay a fine. Sometimes. Yeah. And then they can, is there, are there any rules that you can break where it like makes your candidacy like 
like you like you cannot run anymore you know what i mean um it is not like the like securities trading where you can be banned from being like the director mm-hmm. of a publicly traded company for okay. such a period of time um i don't think so okay and i will be honest the fec especially is a pretty toothless governing body <laughs> like there's a couple vacancies That's on it it's crazy. currently tied it's sort of a running joke of like you want to go to fec jail <laughs> it's never gonna happen although like trump's campaign staff is now proving that wrong so i was like isn't there's there's some issues there so so okay so the fec is a toothless thing so really it's just at most paying a fine yeah it's usually paying a fine um often they'll take a long time after the campaign for them to actually figure out what went wrong Uh, um within states it varies states it varies but again it's fine yeah okay that was that's that's curious i feel like there should be some consequences i don't know if i ever said that i haven't said this yet today so i think it's worth noting the size of a lot of these races yeah so 75 percent of school board races cost a thousand dollars or less right that's 85 percent cost five thousand dollars or less the average city council race excluding say new york chicago miami whatever yeah um anywhere between ten thousand and a hundred thousand it varies um, in Boise, Idaho, the 99th largest city in America, the three combined mayoral candidates in 2015 spent less than $100,000. Oh, oh, my God. Dream. I know. Hashtag So, dream. like, you, these races are relatively affordable. A state legislative race can cost anywhere from $12,000 to a million. Mm-hmm. Again, a lot of it varies depending on how expensive the media market is. So how right. expensive is it to buy ads on TV or on the radio there? Um, how many people do they have to reach? So how much are you going to spend per voter? And ultimately, how big of a staff are they going to have? Is it a kind of campaign where it's going to be a candidate, campaign manager, and that's it? Or are they going to have a whole bunch of organizers? But you can get a sense. Most of these races in most places outside New York City are relatively affordable. In New yeah. York City, it's very expensive. Yeah, but even in New York City, if you're running for city office... There's campaign spending limits. There's public financing. Mm-hmm, yeah. The amount that you actually have to raise yourself is a lot lower than what you'd think. Okay. Yeah. Because I did think it was high. Yeah. It's, it, which to me brings up an interesting question because it is relatively inexpensive compared to what you might think it would be mm-hmm. once you consider like the public financing option that we often don't have people challenge incumbents mm-hmm. in this city. Yeah. Um, or the, the, there is somebody on the ballot. And it doesn't really matter that they're there. Like the mm-hmm. incumbent just, I mean, in 2017, there was like no turnover. Mm-hmm. Like all of the incumbents got reelected. And so it's always a, a question that I think about because this public finance and financing option is really great, but how much, like what the effect of it, is it having the effect we want it to have for candidate, new candidates, younger candidates running in our like city council elections. I think yes. And there's always room for more improvement. But a lot of the folks who ran in 2017 for city council are not thinking about running again, especially because city council, I believe there's term limits. There's there's a lot of open seats pretty regularly. And have you have run before you're a prime candidate to do it again. Totally. Yeah. So it's a way to build a bench. You know, I think it's important to remember that most people don't win their first time out or even often their second time. Yeah. Second time out. Um, the way politics is like everything else. You need practice to get good at it. And the way you get practice is occasionally by losing elections. Yep. Oh, God. That is a great note to end That's on. That's a great note to end on. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Thank I, you so much I'm for so coming pleased. on the show. This is amazing. This, this is fun. Is so, so much fun. fun. Guys, if you're listening, please go to runforsomething.net. Check out the, the page. Donate to it, please. please. Please donate to it. It's so, I'm just, I'm fucking jazz that you are here and, and doing what you're doing it's Thanks. so important um and you have a book read the book read also the called oh run God, so for good. something i love mm-hmm. this aren't anything to add i i just i i'm so happy to meet you like you've been doing so much great work and it's like such a 
pleasure to just meet you in person. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for answering all of our questions. It was great. Anytime. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Bye. Bye. If you like what you heard today, guys, you can rate, you can review, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. Ask us questions, DM us. We're here for you. And if you want to call me, you can. You can call me at 347 509 9414. Please call me and tell me what is going on. Uh, we love you and we look forward to hearing from you. 